I'm sorry, wait. Who are you? Captain America. I thought Captain America was on the moon. Welcome to the latest episode of I Want My MCU TV with Don Melton. Howdy, howdy. Kelly Gamont. Hey there. And me, Lisa Schweizer. Today we are discussing season one or season only of um, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode six. I don't really have a clever title for this week because the show finally acknowledged how clunky it is and did something really special in the end credits that I can't wait to talk about in the reaction section. Same. It was awesome. (laughs) So for those of you who are listening to this podcast for the very first time, welcome, welcome. Um... You picked a heck of a time to join, but we're glad to have you. (laughs) And I want to let you know the format for the podcast is typically we do a quick recap of the episode goings on. Then we move into a reaction section where we just kind of download and parse things out and uh, talk about what we thought and felt during the whole thing. And then we move into a section we're titling, Really? <laughs> where uh, Don Melton drops his capacious Marvel knowledge on Kelly and I, and we all just react to it with, really? Um, anyway, it's a good time. Um, one of the reasons we segmented out like this is because we believe you don't necessarily have to have a doctorate in Marvel studies to like and enjoy the TV shows. We want to point out that they're accessible to people as entities on their own. It's just that sometimes when you've got a little bit of Dr. Milton syllabus to study, <laughs> you get a little extra enjoyment out of them. Hence the really segment. <laughs> okay. So uh, longtime listeners will also notice that this is the part of the episode where I usually go through and do a ritual pleading of the recap before doing it myself. <laughs> um, I'm going to be straight up honest with you guys this week. I had a 48 hour bout with food poisoning. <laughs> ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch is, ouch is like the least of it. And I, um, I am just taking myself out of the running for recaps this week. If we want to do it, that's great. If not, we can just react because this episode has a lot to react to and go from there. But does anyone want to do the recap? Teacher, teacher, I, I promise I can do it in <gasps> 90 seconds. I will take you up on that promise. Hey, thank you for being a friend, Don. Let's do it. Okie dokie. Uh, so the episode title is One World, One People. With a with a comma in between there because that's that's proper punctuation, <laughs> uh, and so uh, basically there are some things that happen in the beginning. But really, what happens? What you want to see is booyah, uh, Sam flying into. Well, I guess it's not the United Nations building, but a, at a big. Uh, into a building he throws his shield through a window and so we work that the grc has rented for the occasion yeah yes. exactly <laughs> he's going into the grc uh building uh and he is in his captain america uniform and <gasps> flight suit that he got from the wakandans remember the big box it's so uh, beautiful sit- yeah they should have uh, sent a poet yes uh <laughs> so he flies in there and by the way that uh flight suit it just matches almost exactly uh, from the comics. I was so thrilled to see that. I, I was just totally fangirling it right there. I had to hit pause <laughs> on the video to just to look at him. So he flies in to stop uh, the Flag Smashers who are going to uh, attack uh, the GRC and shut down their meeting where they're going to decide to displace people and all that other kind of stuff. <clears throat> because uh, Carly Morgenthau has sent her 
uh, people in there and and upset them. Anyway, uh, it turns out uh, Sam's getting the help of Bucky, uh, Sharon Carter, who does a Black Widow style whoop face unveil with a mesh, which is such a cool <laughs> I effect. I love that technology. It was and, nifty. And they are assisted, believe it or not, by John Walker, who is not a raging a-hole this episode. Mm, he's only so, a minor one, really. Yeah, a minor one. But, mm-hmm. but, he, but he does come through. Uh, but also in this episode, Sharon basically turns out to be the power broker. I mean, she doesn't say it outright, but... <laughs> a couple other people do. Yeah, Batrock is very surprised at that, so she kills him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> and and then uh, I'm going over 90 seconds here. I lied to everybody just so, just so you know. So uh, and then when Sam uh, jumps into uh, to uh, reason with Carly about all the setup and killing hostages because she's she's got all the GRC people into these two trucks and she tries to set one of them on fire and you know, whatever Sam tries to, uh, to stop her and, and, you know, have an existential crisis dialogue while they're, he's doing defensive fighting. Uh, well, Sharon kills Carly too. Uh, I mean, she's, uh, she's killing a lot of people this time. Uh, Oh, I forgot. And she just, gruesomely kills one of the flag smashers by basically melting his face that that was grotesque like you're just making me like sharon more with everything you're mentioning in this recap so far (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) so anyway after it's all done and and sam does this you know carrying uh carly's body uh dead body down from the heavens with his wings very very angelic uh, and putting her on a, a, a hospital gurney because they're obviously not going to uh, let her survive. Uh, he gets in an existential uh, and political uh, conversation with the GRC uh, people, and he totally aces being Captain America. I mean, he's really he's really channeling the goodness of Steve uh, Rogers, but still being uh, himself. It is it is awesome. And he gets a, a pat on the back uh, from uh, uh, Bucky. And more importantly, he gets called Cap by Bucky. So I just, I was I was very uh, thrilled with that. Also, wh- uh, other things that happen. Uh, the rest of the Flag Smashers get rounded up by Bucky and John Walker. And John Walker does a, a great heroic thing trying to sa- uh, save some of the hostages. Uh, but, and he also does this really hysterical thing, quoting Lincoln, but I won't go into that in depth. Uh, and, and the flag smashers around up and they're going to get sent to the raft, uh, with Zemo, but Zemo's, uh, butler kills them all in route. Kaboom. Yeah. Blows them up. They blowed up real good. Good butlers enjoy. So as the episode winds down, you know, um, we get uh, Contessa Val uh, giving uh, John Walker uh, a new uniform, same as the old uniform, except it's all black. Uh, and it's exactly like his uniform in the comics because she also calls him U.S. agent, which is uh, what uh, John Walker is in the comics. So I was like, yes, 
we have come full circle on Captain America and, and U.S. Agent. Uh, we get some scenes of uh, Bucky taking up uh, Sam's advice from the last episode to make oh. amends with people, and he goes to see his friend and admits that uh, I killed your son. Yeah, and oh. we don't exactly see the whole resolution of that, but he he leaves his uh, book that he got with Steve with all his names in it. And they're all crossed off, and he leaves it for his doctor, who we didn't get to say anything. Uh, we didn't get to hear her uh, say anything or react to that. Uh, we also get two great scenes with Sam and Isaiah Bradley. And the big one, which just had me crying like a baby, is when Sam takes him to the Captain America Museum. I want to show you something. Yes. And there is a statue of Bradley memorialized for all time he and his compadres did his yes. and the rest Basically. of the super soldier program there what i yeah. loved about that about react is there's also a plaque where sam has it laid out clearly in the plaque that this is an oh, experiment yeah. the government ran without their consent most people didn't survive and his history was buried like they sent it says on it they sent a faith, fake death certificate to his family i paused and read it yeah yeah i yeah. mean sam made sure it was reparative and you know as well as restorative yeah um, yeah so then we have a then we have a feel good sequence uh, with uh, Sam's family back of the boat. Bucky is there uh, with cake. They're all yeah with cake. Uh, <laughs> they're all buddy buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it ends, but we have our second mid credit scene of uh, the series, and surprise, a surprise, it's Sharon back again, getting a pardon from apparently. The only senator in the U.S. government because this guy does everything. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's in the middle of all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's in the middle of all of it. So she gets a pardon, just like Sam promised, and rejoins the CIA to uphold the Carter name and promptly walks out of the building, calls somebody we don't know who, mm-hmm. and talks about selling government secrets and resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, fade to black and more credits. So as that's you do. It. Mm-hmm. Yep, as you do. There we go. So it's basically resolutions galore. Like, yeah, this is arguably episode six is arguably the back half of act three. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So shall we move on? That was a good recap. I feel like we yes. got everything in there. Um, shall we move on to reactions and talk about the things that made us go, ah, or hmm, yes, or things like that? Yes. Um, cause I gotta say like every time you said something that Sharon Carter did, I'm like, Oh, I like her more. She's so calm. I know. She's like, great. like this is the thing is, um, she's like, she, she's so good at her job and her job is like being terrible, but, <laughs> but like you look at that it tracks. and she had like the mesh. She, um, basically set up a situation where she was going to win any way you looked at it because her objective was to take Carly off the map, which she mm-hmm. did. And if, if Sam gets killed by Batrock, it doesn't bother her. And if Sam kills Batrock, that's fine by her too. That was just like a really useful distraction so that she could focus in on Carly. Just saves her some money if yeah. Batrock's not around to collect. Yeah. 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 And so, like, she sets this up so bloodlessly and so precisely. And she did such a great job at making sure everything was kind of ambiguous because, like, we know that she shot Carly 
since Carly's like, you're the power broker. You just want your super soldier army. But to Sam, it's going to be Sharon is mad because she got shot first. And she, and like the good American she is, she views Carly as a terrorist. So shoot, shoot. And it's never going to occur to him that she did that because she's like, no, nah, I need you quiet. <laughs> How do three people keep a secret if two of them are dead? Exactly. And the way that you make sure two of them are dead are you shoot the other two. Yeah. yeah. And also, you never cast Emily Van Van Camp in anything if you want her to play, like, if you want her to play a straight part. Like, the the actress is born to play schemers. It mm-hmm. is astonishing to me that anyone in any Emily Van Camp production looks at her and doesn't instantly <laughs> assume she has, like, a dossier on them and is about to make their life miserable. She's up to something and you can keep it quiet for a nominal monthly fee. Like, yeah. just the set of her eyes tells you, you know, that's it's a great quality to have in an, accent, an actress. But yeah, yeah. I, I was reviewing um, Sharon Carter's uh, actions over the trajectory of this series, because I'm like, do her actions make sense narratively? Like, the questions I had were, do her actions make sense narratively, like, in the whole six-episode arc? And once I answered that question, I'm like, okay, pfft when I when I bottom that out let's see if her actions make sense in the arc of the greater MCU and see, that's where I have a problem with her actions though boss well like we're the power broker episode was that episode three, three? episode three mm-hmm. so why is she doing all the fighting of the bounty hunters herself and almost dying in the process and then letting her prime doctor with all the formulas that she's trying to recap and sell off die. I mean, why the heck did she let Zemo in the shipping container? Okay, here's my hypothesis. Okay, I want to hear it. By the way, I also want to fess up. You were right. She was the power broker. <laughs> Marvel's conservation of characters, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you yeah. better, by the way, just so everybody knows before we get to real it is like so far out of bounds of where the comics are. It's not even funny, but that's okay. It's not the first time they've done that. Yeah. So what's your rationale there? Because you, you're going to have to really sell this one to me. Okay. So my argument for the way Sharon Carter acts in episode three and how it makes sense with the obvious, oh, we're supposed to be shocked by this. Re- no one was shocked by the reveal in episode six. No one, no one was shocked. <laughs> no one, no one was shocked. Um, <laughs> but I think the reason she did the bounty hunter fighting on her own, it's twofold. One, she has to establish trust with Sam and Bucky. And she has to put together her cover story for them so that she can sell them on the whole. I was left out in the cold. No one looked out for me. I had to fend for myself. Now I'm just a damaged sparrow doing my best as an art fence. And like (laughs) that works, right? The reason she brings them to the lab and lets them kill her pet scientist, because she had to know that was a risk, is she was dealing with a bunch of super soldiers who had gone rogue. And at that point, from her perspective, her problems are, one, she needs to get back the she needs to get back the super soldier serum that they have because that's a limited commodity which she can sell for a lot two she needs to make sure they they can't make more super soldiers by coming back to get the guy themselves three she wants to drive up the price of her commodity the best way to do that is to make sure no one's around to make more of it right okay so so for her it was a business decision and um Mm -hmm. more more importantly it puts zemo where she can see him and use him later 
Well, and I just presumed that part of what she was getting also was, um, like, she knew the actual serum wasn't there. She knew Carly had it. Mm-hmm. So, like, worst case, since the serum isn't, is not with the doctor, like, if he's killed, she can maybe find somebody else to reverse engineer it for her. She now knows it's possible. And Kelly, you make a great point. This guy was working off of somebody else's work. And the whole point to science is that the results are consistent and reduce and, and reproducible across independent across independent labs. So mm-hmm. it's been done once. It's in the air now. <laughs> well, in the Marvel universe, it's been done about twenty or thirty times. So, yeah. but not reproducibly, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Yeah, mm-hmm. at least in this case, anyway. Like it made a lot of sense to me that she would be like, "Oh, well, you know, like now I know it can be done." And I know there's some out there and I can just get somebody to like reverse engineer. You know, once I get my hands on it, I'll keep one for myself to make sure I can make more. Like the truth of the matter is very few people knew who she was. Like she was clearly operating behind a bunch of other people and just pushing levers and so on and so forth. Like in the context of the series, I'm thinking if I'm her, what I've done is accurately assess Sam as somebody with a lot of integrity and decided that that's a pretty useful asset to have. Like, Sam is the most predictable actor in her portfolio. That's fair. So it's to her, in, it's to her best interest to, um, it's to her best interest to keep eyes on him to help him out because, you know, she's somebody who can set up her little crafty schemes and plugging in one predictable part makes those schemes so much simpler. It means she mm-hmm. doesn't have to have contingency plans M through Z for that. So... I'm going to I'm going to say here's my hypothesis is she's the power broker. Um, She I'm going to say for now, I was holding out hope that maybe this was a thing that she had set up with Nick Fury under the theory that if yeah, their little intelligence cabal was running an underworld organization, they could more effectively keep eyes on big threats. I don't know if that's the case anymore. And if she's just bent. And I did like that, that theory. There's another big theory out there. That right she's now. a squirrel. Bingo. Oh. Well, the reason I think that theory took off, I remember you guys, I was watching um, the beginning of Avengers uh, Endgame today, um, mm. mostly because we, we were like, we're in the mood to watch Carol rescue Tony and Nebula. And <laughs> <laughs> well, just because it's such a great scene. And um, so we're watching and there's that scene where they go through and they they're, they're explaining they did a census to see who's gone and obviously they have a database of Avengers and Avengers proximity people and in a corner of one of the screens you see that Sharon Carter pops up mm-hmm. and I saw that and I'm like wait I was like something doesn't scan because if Sharon yeah, Carter she blipped if she gets blipped, then who has spent the last five years and six months setting themselves up as a power broker? Mm-hmm. Um, or or I should say, yeah, because, and I'm sure someone can say, oh, the real Sharon Carter did it for two years and then some scroll stepped into her place because secret invasion, whatever. But why would she lie about it to everybody else and let it be known that she had been blipped she had disappeared so there's lots of complications here either marvel is retconning because i noticed the same thing this week i was watching endgame for a different reason i have different favorite scenes Mm -hmm. and so it occurred to me that so she really was blipped in which case she's not only a fighting genius she's a business genius to set up 
being the power broker in six months time. Either that or she set up like a she set up like a succession plan for when oh in the unlikely event that a mad space tyrant blinks me out of existence, keep yeah. the thing running for five years yeah. since I've been on the run for two already. Like the thing we have to remember is Sharon Carter has in theory been out in the cold for seven and a half years. And mm-hmm. either she's been gone for five years or she hasn't. And if she's been gone for five years, then the question is, what's up with the real Sharon? What's up with the real Sharon Carter? Because there's clearly right. been an imposter building this empire. Well, there could be a lot of things. Cause so the thing is, you know, the question is, is so when did she turn evil? So to speak air quotes around that. When did she start going into business for herself? Was she already getting lip from Cap in, in Civil War back then? Had she turned then? Or was she, you know, if if the scroll thing is the answer, mm-hmm. was she a scroll all the way back then? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the senator uh, in this episode gave the speech about, you know, her family name and the great work her family did. What is the rationale for her essentially you know, betraying her great aunt's legacy by doing all this skanky stuff. Mm-hmm. I I think it makes her character more interesting in one hand, but on the other hand, Fahey and company got some splaining to do. I mean, I wanna I wanna understand what the whole rationale is here. I wanna understand what the timeline is with mm-hmm. the blip. And I want to understand where this is going in the future. So what I'm so what I'm thinking, okay, here's what we know, is we know she was on the run for two years with Civil War. And we know that she opted not to hang with um, Sam and Cap and Natasha and um, Wanda. Correct. Okay. So, because we know that Sam, Natasha, Cap, and Wanda were basically associating with each other continuously. Like, they established that in Avengers Infinity War. Um and I remember last week I'm all, it doesn't speak well of Steve that he left Sharon out in the cold. Mip, 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 mip. Um, well, it. It, it wouldn't if that were the case. And it just turned out that may not be the case. Like, this is the thing is, so with her presence popping up in the database, what this tells me is that Steve still considered her like friend of the Avengers or like Avengers field team or something. So here's what I'm choosing to infer. And this is just me backfilling with my own headcanon here is I'm choosing to infer that Sharon was like, my goal is to stay off the radar. Like Eagles follow you wherever you go. This is not discreet. This is not working for me. Why don't we split up? We'll ping each other every so often. We'll take the temperature in the wind. If you need me, you call me. And Steve's like, of course, Sharon. And, um, then when it was time to take the census and do the fancy scene where you see everybody popped up who's been blipped, that's why you see her name is Steve is like, hey, Sharon and I have been like exchanging emails every so often. Um, you know, I haven't been able to raise her. So clearly she's been blipped. This leads to the second part of my crackpot theory, which is that either Sharon was dusted, which is when the scroll was like, well, 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 look at this young lady who happens to have a career as an art, as an art dealer slash arms dealer. Yeah. Or she was like, hey, half of the world has been blipped. What a great time to fake my own disappearance. Yeah. So it could be. So so the backstory in my head until now is that Sharon was still a friend of the family until the blip either she took advantage of the confusion and like decided to dabble in a little light arms dealing 
she well, um, and you know who hasn't yeah or she or she got blipped <laughs> and is back and is all and and like got back into a situation where she's like there's a stranger wearing my face and they're doing terrible things and i'm gonna play this out like the spy master i am and it's gonna i'm gonna and and now that i realize that face stealing aliens are living on this planet i had better like find somebody who can help me deal with this stuff so maybe she pops up in a different capacity. And one of the exciting things we find out is the power broker is an alien and Sharon Carter is not. Or Sharon Carter is the power broker, but the alien wearing her face is not. And ugh. Anyway, there's a lot I of can guarantee you, I can guarantee you one thing. Mm-hmm. That Kevin Fahey has not explained any of this to Emily uh, Van Camp. So, no. <clears throat> which is probably fine for her because it's a juicy part yeah. any way that goes. So... Before we make this the Sharon Carter show, were there other <laughs> things? Because she's awesome. Well, she's yeah. great. Were yeah. there other things in the episode that you were? Oh, so many. Oh my gosh. So many things. I I want to I want to skip ahead to the end just for a minute though, because I feel like this is Marvel slash Disney messing with us again, because they told us that the Falcon and the Winter Snowman would only have one season. Mm-hmm. And it's because next season, somebody on Twitter, like last week when I was when I was watching this, somebody said, um, uh, the reason we only get one season of the Falcon and the Winter Snowman is because uh, Sam and Bucky return in Captain America and the White Wolf. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'd watch that. Okay, I'm intrigued by your theory. Um, yes, I- I'm listening. And then at the very end. Of but this- at the end of the episode, yes. it became Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Which is how this whole crazy story started was with the movie Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And the Winter Soldier. And yeah. so I'm like, that's how we only get one season. Yeah. It's because well, it's not the Falcon and the Winter Soldier anymore. Well, we may get only one season for another reason, because it was strongly rumored in Hollywood Reporter, I guess, on Friday, mm-hmm. that Malcolm Spellman is working on a fourth Captain America movie. I didn't think that was rumored. I thought that was like, here's the deal. <laughs> maybe, I've, well, maybe I read that with more it, It's uh, faith not been in it confirmed than... by Spellman or okay. Marvel. But it was good sources, mm-hmm. so I'm still going to call it a rumor until one or the other of them confirm that. Until somebody says something. Yeah. Makes sense. yeah, so we may not get another set of episodes, but we may get a whole set of like two or three movies, which would be... Yeah, I'd be, be great. fine with that. I, I will not yeah. complain about that. Well, I feel like the whole point of this series was to set up the peaceful transition of of power, as it were. From, from the JV characters to the front lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it was the the whole point was to walk the audience through. Okay, we know you like Chris Evans. He's great. Who wouldn't like Chris Evans? But Steve Rogers is gone. And mm-hmm. we think that we still need a Captain America. So the question is, who's Captain and why is he Captain America? And this show set up those questions and answered them definitively. And now that they've done that, they can go ahead and be like, okay, the next movie we make, you have a black Captain America. It's going to be amazing because he's also a grown up. And, um, you know, his big superpower is willing Feelings. to believe that people can and will do better. <laughs> His big superpower is feelings. Yeah, exactly. No, he's so mature. It's unbelievable. Um, oh, seriously. 
Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like the the show accomplished what it set out to do with that. And, oh, definitely. Yeah. It also it also took uh, Bucky mm-hmm. back out of the uh, the whole Winter Soldier thing. He is not ruined by it. I think one of the great things in the little toss off line is where Bucky is walking through the police line, and one of the cops stands aside and says. Uh, you know, good evening, Sergeant Barnes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like the police officers are well aware from the Captain America exhibit mm-hmm. uh, who Bucky is and what his rank was. And I thought, you know, well, that was nice to treat him that way. Yeah. And he's not mm-hmm. treated like a pariah or somebody to worry about. You know, nobody was questioning, you know, his motives. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was just total class and cool that when the events threw uh uh cap and bucky together uh with uh john walker they were like no we can't work with you because you're evil and kill the person they're like holy crap we've got to stop these people uh, protect the hostages and try to turn this around and what do we have to do that this guy okay And who also has his turn where he clearly, you know, White Russell does his head shaking, twitchy routine, gets the best of himself and decides not to kill Carly right then and there, but go try to help uh, Sam and Bucky save, save the hostages. He finally made a Captain America decision. Yeah, exactly. He made a few false steps first because like the first few things he does in this episode um, aren't centered on concern for the people who genuinely need help. Right. Um, They're mostly punitive and they're mostly Mm -hmm. giving into his feelings. But then they give him that line from Lincoln to say. Oh, yeah. Where um, something about justice and mercy and um, and um, I was like, oh, my gosh, wow, he really did learn something at West Point. And he and he and Bucky uh, walk off together, uh, making wise about that line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, Bucky still doesn't like him. I think it takes a lot for Bucky to actually like you. But I think Bucky is a little bit closer to being like, okay, maybe you're salvageable. And um, I think what we saw of U.S. Agent in this episode... I think maybe his character arc will end up being really tragic. Oh, I hope so. It's uh, so much more interesting for the character. Yeah. But but you look at like when he puts on the uniform, he's like, I'm back. And you can tell that he really wants validation and vindication. And he still doesn't really understand where that has to come from. Yep. But but a person, a character that's screwed like that is going to be so perfectly played by Wyatt Russell. Yeah, I mean, he's just, I feel bad because he's got good instincts, but he's now working with the Contessa who's going to urge him to ignore all those instincts or who will be manipulating Setting up him. the Thunderbolts or setting up the Dark Avengers. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know. Sorry, I'm, I'm rushing ahead to the next segment, so. Uh, the other thing is, we, we've got so many other subs. I, I'm so sad they killed killed off uh, Aaron Kellyman and yet another Disney property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, you know we're not going to see Carly anymore. But they they kind of painted her with one thing I didn't like is it was a kind of a trite brush, 
right? I felt like her characterization got less subtle and less um, less fair to the character as the show went on. Yes, exactly. Yes. And um, Sam does a great job in this episode of, of putting her in context as a teenager who's willing to take on world governments. Um, Shades of Greta Thunberg. And um, I really wish that we had gotten more emphasis on how young she was supposed to be in previous episodes so that we really could have sat with the reality that you had entire battalions of highly trained military people going after superpowered teenagers yeah mm-hmm. or super or superpowered young people and um and and really sit with that for a bit but they kept her age pretty ambiguous and um she Erin Kellyman doesn't really play her like a teenager until this episode as well. So that was, I wouldn't call it a quibble. I'm just disappointed, you know? I'm also disappointed that uh, they killed off Batrock mm. uh, because yeah. uh, George St. Saint- uh, Pierre is just such a, uh, he's such a badass. Mm-hmm. And mean, he was a fun element of chaos to drop into the middle of Oh, stuff. yeah, yeah. Like that <laughs> was, like his but, character and his agenda is pretty entertaining. As my sister said, typical of any Marvel film or Marvel comic, you didn't see the burial, did you? Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> that's that's a great question. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but we did get confirmation that uh, uh, Zemo, while not dancing, mm-hmm. uh, is still um, is still reading uh, classics, scary classics in uh, prison, wearing exactly yeah. this week in Finding Zemo. Yeah, Finding Zemo, he is in the raft wearing exactly the same uniform that Sam was wearing when he was in in the raft. So, uh, but let me just say that uh, those uniforms, uh, the the new Captain America uniform, it is just like straight off the cover. I think that was back in 2010, 2011. Somebody correct me on air. Tell me when that issue came out. Uh <laughs> with that uh that uniform on the cover and it's and um john walker's u.s agent uniform it's just like almost exact it's just like so cool and the nice thing is that now that sam is captain america danny ramirez can you know become uh the um uh the falcon Mm -hmm. i did appreciate that we saw him while sam was Given the GRC, the business, I did appreciate the cut to to Torres to yes. let us know, like, yeah, I remember him. Like, we didn't forget him either. Just so you know, yeah. yeah. And and Sam left him his old Falcon wings, so yeah, I'm thinking Falcon too. That's oh, that's we know we're that's going. happening. Yeah. I yes. really loved that speech when you say, "Given the GRC, the business." Um, I could not be happier about that speech and there are multiple reasons why i actually made my husband come in and watch it with me (laughs) and um one of them is i think it's one of the first times i've seen a big corporate mainstream pop culture property which like caters to an audience with a wide range of backgrounds and tastes come out and say the experience of being this person in America is different when you are black versus when you are not black. Like Mm -hmm. Sam Wilson said that out loud to a bunch of people and a bunch of cameras. Yeah. Like 
And I mean, we he, he and Bucky had a similar conversation, but not like this. No, it was pretty great. Um, I also really liked that Sam was like, literally none of you stopped to ask why people might be rising up against you, literally. And, and then he says, who's in the room when you're making the decisions? And I thought, this is the speech... <laughs> It, it is, it's kind of, I like to joke that Marvel has futurists on staff, but I was struck by how prescient and uncannily yeah. of the moment this speech felt. And mm-hmm. given that the whole series is about the people need something to rally around, and we were clearly supposed to see the flag smashers as, oh, it's something people are rallying around because they don't have a better alternative for Sam to say, you're right, they rallied because you're not giving them leadership or anything to to buy into. And you Mm. need to change that. Like, it's amazing that you had a Captain America who spoke truth to power, like Sam is already changing the parameters of the job. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, he's uh, trying something new. Was that what he said? I'm trying something new? Yeah, doing something new. You should try. Yeah, I I also think that his two scenes and they're two Mm -hmm. quite different scenes with Isaiah. Mm hmm just both of them hit me right in the feels. I mean, just, just, oh my God. And Carl Lumley, can we just give him all the awards right now? No, because uh, Anthony Mackie needs some. Yeah, yeah, I just. (laughs) It is time for Anthony Mackie to get some awards. I mean. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We've had this conversation. Yeah. That was just, that was just awesome. I was, uh, I, I was, I was definitely, uh, I was definitely w- wet around the facial area. Oh, yeah. I think it's really interesting how through the course of this episode, we see Sam refuse to fight Carly. He defends, but he doesn't fight. Yeah. And we see him stand up and speak truth to power. And we see him extend um, acceptance towards U.S. agent. Mm -hmm. And we see him work on reparative and restorative measures for people that he thinks has been have been wronged by his government. Like he's taking his Mm -hmm. role as as an icon of America seriously by saying it starts with government accountability. And then we see Mm -hmm. him reconnecting with his community at the end. It's basically the whole hour is like an extended argument for for Sam Wilson as your Sam Wilson is your next MCU hero. And yeah. It's I also thought it was interesting is that that party is also a, a coming out party for the boat. Yeah. And in a way, you can see the boat as uh, as an analogy for the shield. Yes. And and the rep and the repair of that as the repair of Captain America. I mean, it it's. It's not really that subtle, folks. I mean, they've kind of like been shouting it for six episodes yeah. here. It's also noticeable that U.S. Agent Shield immediately gets uh, his his self forged shield immediately gets uh, pummeled to pieces, obliterated. So, so yeah. th- there's, your, there's your other. Thing. I thought it was cool for uh, John Walker that he dropped that shield with his Medal of Honor thing, so he could grab the truck. Yeah, to prevent it from going over. Yeah, so that was a nice pretty good. Symbol of of him maybe slowly groping his way. I mean, I think the rehabilitation of John Walker will make would make a wonderful story. I just feel like he's going to be put through it first before he gets there. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yes, absolutely. He's go the ringer, mm-hmm. and that's just going to be. I hate to say this, but it's just going to be delightful to watch. Yeah. I, I mean, You're like it's the, not happening to me. It's fine. <laughs> the best. The best fiction out there, whether it's it's TV, movie, or written, is when you know writers and creators 
can craft these really interesting characters and relationships between characters and then just torment the hell out of them. Mm. <laughs> That's entertainment, folks, That's right there. entertainment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... And I, I think what I also really liked about this episode is how Bucky's efforts to learn to live with himself and like who he is now and learn to live in this century that he clearly never asked to be in. Um, like, they're just really low key. Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bucky has kind of loomed a little larger than, re- like, reputationally than perhaps the man really deserves from being the best friend that Steve chases off to war to being the best friend that Steve effectively brings down a helicarrier for to being the best friend that Steve effectively splits up the Avengers for. Um, and there's all this. And what you see is he's just this, he's just kind of this low key guy who really wants nothing more than to have some bros to hang with and people he can connect with and a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he drops off, like, he didn't have the, the, the scene where he drops off, like, the fact that he, like, gift bags the, the book and then drops it off with the shrink. Um, <laughs> with a handwritten card. Yes. And and I thought, that's 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 your Bucky Barnes, in my opinion. It's not the dude with the, the hair and the bad eyeliner in the movie Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Like, it's just this guy who doesn't want to make a big deal about things, but still wants to be thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And I like that they're giving him the quiet to breathe. He wants to be of service. Yeah, exactly. He needed Sam to remind him of that. That's all. I think so, yeah. You know, you just want to embrace characters like that. Yeah. Right? You want to see some you want to see something that connects in people. Yeah. Either a goodness or a badness. You know, an interest or a terror. Uh, you want to feel like you could have made that journey, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things I think we talked about um, either right before we started recording or right in the middle of this podcast was um, the Junior Avengers moving up to the front lines. Yeah, the JV team. I know Marvel's been trying to push that since the ending of Avengers Ultron because, you know, that movie ends with... Steve and Natasha going and, you know, hey, hey, Vision, hey, Wanda, hey, (laughs) Sam, let's play together. Um, But I get a feeling that one of the things this show meant to do was to point out that you maybe had your first generation of Avengers when these problems began presenting themselves, the personalities that they needed to fit those problems were the personalities of... Thor and Steve Rogers and Tony Stark and, um, you know, Natasha Romanoff and um, Clint Barton. But the world's got more complicated. The universe has gotten bigger and more knowable. And maybe what you need are a different set of personalities. And those personalities happen to be the ones that Sam and Bucky have. Like, I buy them more as Avengers now than I did. um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the Contessa paraphrased that statement to John Walker there Mm -hmm. in the courtroom. Yeah. You know, the the universe is, we don't need a Captain America anymore. Mm -hmm. And in a certain sense... she she's right we don't need the steve rogers captain america anymore we need sam's captain america yeah and we need some baddies like maybe john walker could become Mm -hmm. uh it's you need change uh and we need to hold on and the thing is we're finding out on the small screen the actors that they have picked for these roles Mm -hmm. they're going to hold up just as well 
uh, as these other people, because who the heck had ever heard of Chris Hemsworth or <laughs> yeah. Chris Evans? Chris Evans was in two bad Fantastic Four films. Yeah, right? You want the guy who was in the bad Fantastic Four? You want that guy? And you want yeah. him to play Captain America? Did you bring enough for everybody? Yeah. yeah. This this guy was... Um, I mean, a lot of the casting they, they've done has been pleasant surprises. I'd argue that they only miscast one of the Avengers, possibly two. Um, and like you said, the casting holds up for this generation. I think what Marvel's also trying to do is gently re-educate the fandom and the viewers as to, hey, phase one was about this. Um, phase two was about this set of themes. We're now moving into, um, we have this deep and established mythology, and we're now moving into a part of storytelling where they need, well, I'm talking like a Marvel, we need to walk the line between um, rewarding people who have stuck it out through 20 odd films and God knows how many TV series, and still making it accessible and entertaining for people who are just coming in now. Mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah. like, that's going to be their challenge. Um you may have people who grew up on the MCU, but you're also going to have like a whole generation of people who are just coming into it now, and they're not going to think the same things are a big deal. Um, if I can give a little example, when I took my daughter to see Captain Marvel, I was like all like, oh my God, this is so great. Every single scene passes the Bechdel test and we get to see Carol being smart and strong and there's not a dumb love interest to distract like there was in the Wonder Woman movie. And this is just, and my daughter is like, oh my God. God, I have She-Ra. I have My Little Pony. I don't need this. And it hit, well, it hit me. She doesn't because... That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because she already sees like her friends and herself represented in, in girl-led, girl-centric things. And like, what I'm trying to say is the fans who are going to see Marvel movies for like the first 10 years are not the same people who are going to get into the fan base now. Like they have much different expectations and much different requirements for entertainment and Marvel's there to meet them. And this show is like a big building block in that. I think um, I'm a little yeah. baffled. It hasn't gotten the same love as WandaVision critically speaking. Like you don't see a lot of TV critics writing thinky pieces every week about, Oh, the real villain is globalism or the real villain is the global banking system. Like yeah. the same way we got a thousand, the real villain is grief. Um, yeah. Pieces, right? There, there is some fan service, but there's no, let's think deep about this and let's yeah. i i was also disappointed yeah with the things that this talks about being certainly being black in america but the implications for what it has for uh being white in america yeah uh it's it's stunning and you you don't get that a lot in a spandex tv show right that's true uh and it's like crickets out there about that and it's like really come on <laughs> so uh yeah i was a little disappointed in that and uh which makes me wonder what's going to be the reaction to uh to loki you know what i think what's going to happen is people will fall all over loki because it's a noted shakespearean actor tom hiddleston um <laughs> no like i said it doesn't look great for the tv critic industrial complex to step away from paying attention to this show and wrestling with mm -hmm. the really weighty topics it brought up and it also looks really dumb from a fan perspective because i think this show is going to turn out to be a linchpin in marvel's positioning for the next decade 
Absolutely. Oh, I completely agree with you. And I got this, I got this rant mm-hmm. both positively that way and also about critics from my sister uh, th- this morning uh, when she called me and she was asking, well, you're going to do the show and, you know, uh, talk about this and stuff. And I said, well, yeah, yeah. How did, so how did you like it? Because I hadn't talked to her on Friday about that. And she was like, I thought it was fantastic. This yeah. is like a great episode. And, you know, she's read all the comics and I, I don't mean just all the Marvel comics, all the DC comics, all the comics, all the undergrounds. She's written <laughs> underground comics. So, cool. uh, and so, uh, well, I've drawn a few underground comics. So back in the day, she thought this was just fabulous. And she comes at it from both as a fan of the mythos mm-hmm. and she doesn't care if it doesn't match exactly like the whole things I was being grumpy about share it. It's like, well, that was interesting. Wasn't it? Yeah. Let's go in a different way that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was also like the themes that it's addressing uh, for some of the same uh, social aspects you're talking about, the mm-hmm. racial aspects I was talking about. She thought it was great. And then she said, uh, she didn't say where she read the review, but she'd read a review online. And she was obviously, well, this four kid was obviously watching a different TV show than I was because they just completely <laughs> did not get it. And so very disappointed. In it. I think there are legitimate criticisms to be made about some of the narrative choices in this show and some of the structures and some of the episodes may feel incoherent from a plotting or storytelling point. And we've had discussions on the incomparable slack internally about, you know, what does and doesn't work. So I get why I will say, I think a lot of the WandaVision episodes hang together more elegantly as individual TV episodes, but I'm going to say that the Falcon and the winter soldier swung for further fences and had more impactful things to say. And it's a real shame that we haven't seen a lot of, a lot more attention paid to the things they, the premises that they laid out in the show, such along the lines of what makes, what makes, what radicalizes people, what alienates people from their country? What can you justify in the name of patriotism? How do you feel about living someplace that limits people's potential? How do you get up every day and fight against that and try to extend everybody's potential instead? Like there's all these really great heavy questions, many of which tie directly into the nature of what heroism is, period. And, you know, I was just really disappointed by um, the lack of reaction I saw from a lot of people. And um, I I really feel like it's short-sighted. And I want to say, I I don't think the show answered all of those questions. But they asked them, but it, which I think is great. Yeah, they asked yeah. them and they wrestled with them. Yeah. And I like that Sam at one point says, I don't have answers. It is complicated. I'm glad you're here with me to see that. And um, it's a reintroduction of nuance, which yeah. is another, yeah. which is a, a, a thing that has been missing from pop culture in some facets and a thing that has been missing in a lot of American um 
discourse society in, in multiple yeah. facets you know so i like that we actually had a piece of pop culture which features cgi fights and then once it's all done they're like hey how about rest how about saying yes there are no easy answers there are no quick fixes we're all in this to do complicated shady things together <laughs> i love yeah. that yeah but even though i think the scope and what it was trying to say was larger than than, for example, WandaVision. And we'll get into this, folks. We're going to have a pop-up episode, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to have a pop-up episode where we talk about this, is the approach, they're not in competition. Yeah. They're like, they're like facets of, or pieces of a, of a big puzzle, and you're only seeing two of those pieces so far. So as a former biologist, I'm going to say they're complementary members of an ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, no the, that's actually a really good way to, uh, to put that. They play different roles and we'll see what their relationship is to each other. <laughs> well, you know, in uh, Kelly and I's other show that we do in Westworld, we actually had this conversation about Westworld in terms of the three seasons of Westworld mm -hmm. and the roles or the facets those three different seasons because they they all had very different themes yeah i i appreciate people that do that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh that give you that kind of broad palette and don't give you the same thing to chew on all the time because even though that oh that's my favorite you're not a dog and you're not going to eat dog food all the time right to be fair, at some point, I would like an MCU TV show that's as much comfort viewing to me as, say, Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, yeah. Because, like, one to me, one of the big appeals of Star Trek Next Generation is if I'm feeling brain dead or particularly tender or exhausted, um, I can, like, load up an episode and I know what I'm getting and it's delightful. And, like, some people watch Law & Order... I watched Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> I, I, I would like an MCU TV show like that at some yeah. point. Um, see, see, my problem is if I start marathoning uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, by the time it gets to the third or fourth season, it was actually good. Yeah. And I start paying attention. I can't just put it on in the background. <laughs> First two seasons I can do that with because they're, you know, So, Don, have I, have I shared with you that for some reason, like... Um, like nine of my friends had a baby the same year I did. So there were like 10 of us or no, like 10 of us. This, in the, is, this is no, no, the, Lisa, this is the plot of a horror. It does sound like uh, it does. Novel I read one time. Yeah, and they're so, all blonde um, and their eyes glow. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we all have these, we all have these babies like within a nine month period. And um, so we were frequently texting back and forth with coping strategies and please help. I'm trapped under sleeping baby, you know, things like that. But like one of the things that we all had in common was like whenever we were particularly stressed or dealing with like a, a toothing baby or whatever is we'd put on like Star Trek The Next Generation on the TiVo and we'd be like, it's going to be OK. Captain Picard has just reassured me it's going to be OK. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's what I'm kind of looking for in, like, where is my MCU hang show? Where is my MCU hang show where I have, like, some reassuring third string superhero? Yeah, my comfort viewing. Yeah. Lisa, that's what Inhumans is for. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just Dawn. because it has a Starfleet captain. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa. 
So, so folks, we actually had a half-hour pre-show, which we actually talked again about the Inhumans. So I, I just brought that up to, to, to mess with me. Yeah, to yeah, mess with Lisa. Uh, and and remember, if we get enough, if we get enough people who sign up during the membership drive, Don did say he would watch Inhumans. If you'd like to make Don Melton cry live on air. Oh God. <laughs> This is a thing that we can make happen. Join the incomparable. You have that power, listeners. (laughs) You listeners, you have that power. power. Oh, my gosh. Um, I would like to get to really, if we can, because I have several questions. Oh, yes. Get to the really. Yeah, this is where you shine, Don. Let's get you really. Yeah, I got got nothing this week. So go go for it. What question you got? Well, I want. Okay. U.S. agent. What's his deal? Who is he? What's up? Is he a bad guy? Uh. You know, it's typical Marvel comic stuff. It depends on what... So that means he has eight backstories and it depends which one we decide we like? U.S. Agent was, I think, a recent thing. But I think John Walker and the character... This started back in the 90s or maybe late 80s. Because he started as Super Patriot, which was this kind of like... That sounds familiar. The whole U.S. agent thing, my recollection is that's a more last 20 years kind of thing. Okay. Was U.S. agent always uh, the Countess's deal? (laughs) No, no. Uh, They created U.S. agent because they wanted the the, one of the people who helped create the storyline, who I think was I think one of the people was Paul Neary. I'm not sure. They wanted to go, what if Captain America, but an asshole, you know, what is, what is, what if you took patriotism and turned it up to 11 or maybe 12 or 13? Wow. How timely. And, and so, Yeah. yeah. So, so what would a patriotic villain be like? Right. That's the whole, that's the whole thing about. Uh, the Patriot, uh, Super Patriot, and U.S. Agent, right? Okay. And so that's kind of how it started out. And I really, now that I'm thinking about this, was like he did show up during the 80s. It's been a long time, but it, it, it's changed and morphed. You know, it's a typical comic stuff. Of course. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think of the comics, although I'm not sure if it was originally. I think he did get serumed. Okay. I think they've had a a recent whole run of the comics uh, about him too. I mean, like in the last couple of years. So, oh, okay. Uh, so they, you know, they revisited and revamped the character. This was not one of my favorite storylines because it was going down the, you know, everybody's Captain America because we're getting tired of like writing the Captain America stories. How can we screw Cap up and you know, <laughs> either kill him or, yeah. you know, make him forget who he is, stuff like that. And this is one of, uh, one of those. And it, I was never like, wow, this is fantastic. Uh, but I, I actually liked the way they treated John Walker in this series better than any of the comics that I read really. Okay. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Sharon Carter, Agent 13. Um, yes. Because all that we really know about her is, yes, she's related to Peggy Carter and has a rich family heritage of uh, national service. 
but I know that her backstory in the comics is considerably more complex. And oh, I'm yeah. wondering if there's anything in her backstory that might actually inform why they decided to flip her to the power broker now. She'd been compromised several times and mm-hmm. brainwashed. I mean, she's responsible. The character, I forget when the hell it was, but, you know, she kills Captain America. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Agent Carter in 2008 was mm-hmm. also a scroll during the secret invasion continuity because mm-hmm. everybody was a scroll. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't remember those parts. Uh, but she was, uh, I think, temporarily turned by mm-hmm. the Red Skull or one of his goons at one time. But the character goes all the way back to the 60s. I mentioned yeah. this a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Where, uh, where, you know, she wasn't, she, you know, she was the younger sister of Peggy Carter. She wasn't the... Gr- <laughs> and right. then as we get further from World War II, you kind of have to invent different yeah. female relatives for it. So yeah. it's not yeah, weird. exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's not weird. There's a lot of people that have had... Uh, creators in Marvel that have had influence on her storyline. Like, uh, for example, Ed Brubaker is the guy who created the winter soldier, mm-hmm. you know, because that was not something that was created by Simon and Kirby who created yeah. Bucky and stuff like that. So I think they've, uh, had that, but I think, uh, what was the name of the skulls henchman? Dr. Faustus. I think that's one of the people who turns her, but she's never gone like she has in this show. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, full. She's never been the power broker. But there was a real power broker in the comics. It just wasn't her. Oh, well, okay. there were two. There were two power brokers. Mm-hmm. I think the first one was killed by the Punisher. Uh, and uh, it's so complicated. And then, you know, they'll retcon that. Of course. I mean, if you ask Kevin Fahey, he would know and he would know which issue it was. Who wrote it and who drew uh, drew it, right? Because one, right. he does this for a living, and two, nerd. Oh, so well, yeah, so much more than me. So uh, Sharon Carter has always been a not a B player, but a C supporting player. Yeah. Okay. And and many times has been uh, Cap's sort of modern girl uh, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Okay. The MCU definitely, you know, played up on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, because Peggy Peggy was dead. I mean, she died, yeah. you know, a long time ago. Yeah. And Peggy Carter was not running S.H.I.E.L.D. in the early 90s like she was in Ant-Man, for example. The mm-hmm. Ant-Man movie. Okay. Right. So, uh, but by the way, I thought that was totally cool that she was. That she's so running it by that point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what I'm saying is compared to the comics because the comics continuities are like that. So anyway, uh, Agent 13 has been compromised many times. She's been revealed to be, uh, uh, I think, you know, one time they killed her off and then they retconned it by saying Fury had her fake her own death so she could do this special uh, mission for shield yeah. so she's basically the french vanilla of narrative devices where they just throw her in where needed when they have to make a plot sunday yep oh yeah totally like i said it's sea level player right sea level player so this poor woman never ever gets uh <laughs> it's always yeah. the perils of pauline mm-hmm. yes in a way but it's a very bad ass pauline lisa mm-hmm. i mean okay. she's just <laughs> oh yeah 
Yeah. She kicks some serious butt. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, it's like the Contessa. I mean, they 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 were teaming up at one time, mm-hmm. right, for the Femme Force in S.H.I.E.L.D. Terrible name. <laughs> this was a bunch of well-meaning yeah. men yeah. at Marvel who thought they were doing, you know, a feminine thing back then. But You chicks you got know, your own thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But... In reality, not even uh-huh. close. I mean, but, but no. those of them that are still alive kind of realize that now, but, you know, their mm-hmm. intentions were actually pretty good. Of course, they were all skin tight and, you know. They were all girls in comic books, uh, yeah. D- D-level brassiers. Yeah. Is there anything from the comics that you can tell us about Sam as Captain America that seems like it might inform where he's headed? Well, in the comic books right now, I don't think he is Captain America. I think that was a uh, the the Falcon becoming Captain America, as I recall, was something that was around. Uh, I want to say between two thousand ten, two thousand fifteen. Okay. Uh, and so I think Captain America is Captain America in the comic books right now. Yeah. Well, I knew it was recent, but I wondered if there was anything from the comics that might be interesting to know. Like oh, uh, you know he he led the led the charge against the scroll invasion or whatever you know like something like that. Well, I don't think he was scrolled like everybody else, which is good. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you that I think he he has returned as uh, the Falcon to the best of my uh, okay uh, recollection. Uh, and I think he was involved in the whole secret invasion storyline, but I can't remember exactly, uh, how that was. Yeah. I just wondered if there was maybe something notable about Sam's tenure. I'll be blunt. I think one of the reasons they brought back Steve Rogers as Captain America is they had, you know, they bled off that storyline. Okay. And, uh, and you know, the, what's old is new and that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And he was certainly involved in this. In the comics, had their own Civil War storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was about in well, was about seven or eight years ago. The Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was also when uh, Rhodey uh, gets killed, right? Oh, okay, yeah. He was also uh, involved, as I recall, with working with Steve Rogers. Yeah, I forget in what capacity, but they were going after the Flag Smashers and things like that. So. Yeah, okay. the comics are like just a bag, a big bag of snot and going <laughs> back and forth with. And I don't really remember it that well because I didn't read all of these. Uh, I One, I didn't read all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing some of the stories secondhand from my sister who did actually read all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've only read spots here and there. Lisa and Kelly talk very big about my comics knowledge depth mm-hmm. but it, uh, a lot of the recent stuff is secondhand i mean i can i can tell you like who drew the comic if we're talking about back in the <laughs> 60s and 70s yeah uh yeah because you know i actually had those when my sister and i finally sold most of our comic collection the shanis brothers used that as uh the basis for uh, selling that off for a lot more money than we sold it to them because we were stupid and use that as a basis to start Pacific Comics. Oh, wow. So that shows you how like how far I go back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I wanted to talk to is not just about the comics, but uh-huh. about the shows coming up here. I really? Think 
Yes. I think there's going to possibly be some tie-ins here. Mm, okay. What? Uh, and uh, the two big things that hit me where we could see some tie-ins are the ones coming next year, which are Secret Invasion, which is all the Skrull stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm really looking forward to because that was, although it did get tedious after a while when everybody turns out to be a Skrull, mm. uh, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard they've hired uh, Amelia Clark for uh, Secret Invasion. So and really Olivia curious. Coleman, which I am super excited oh. about. Yes. 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 Because they're, they're just like top-notch uh, actors. And I, I'm just curious about what they'll play. But Secret Invasion, invasion and uh, Armor Wars, where we'll see uh, Rhodey con- confront the... You know, the weaponization of, and sell-off of his good buddy Tony Stark's technology. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh, I'm just laughing where I'm like, what do you mean the, the, the weaponization of Tony Stark's technology? This is how he made well, his money. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm being partially ironic saying that. But yeah, it. but I think this was, it, the Armor Wars is definitely something where we could see uh, Sharon reappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Ooh. if she really is a skull, we'll probably see her reappear in Secret Invasion. Yeah. I am so I remember reading the Secret Invasion comics and um then having to reread them because I'm like, wait, what? Because once they reveal who's a scroll, you're like, okay, this this literally throws years of 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 Marvel continuity into disarray because that's not the real yes. person doing it. How do you think the upcoming TV shows will deal with um, helping people keep track of like who's who, like who's re- who's for real and who's a scroll. What they're going to have to do is they're going to not, they can't do what they did in the comics where essentially everybody's a scroll. It, it, at least it seemed like that way. You have to, you have to narrow the scope of it or it's just going to get insane. You're also not going to be able to bring in all the actors from the movies Mm -hmm. to, to do some of these parts. They would have to do it like they're doing uh, another series that'll come out this year, which is what if where you, you basically have uh, Kelly and I's favorite employee from Westworld, uh, (laughs) Jeffrey Wright playing the watcher and, you know, they do the what if stuff, but it's all animated, right? So you can use people's voices, but you're not going to be able to pay in a TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, all this time we thought that was the Hulk and, you know, blood, and like idiotic stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, you can't do that kind of thing. So you're going to have to narrow the scope of it. Uh, the nice thing is what they did in the Captain Marvel movie with the Skrulls and the Kree Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good because they gave like 40 years of comics served up on a plate in a pretty palatable fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of understanding the Kree and the Skrulls. And now you're going to take a whole new take on the Skrulls. And from what I understand, Ben Mendelsohn mm-hmm. is going to be in this show. Oh, yeah, I loved him in Captain Marvel. So good. Yes. Well, yeah. Like the casting... I'll, I'll watch that guy in anything. Well, the casting was genius because my association with Ben Mendelsohn is, oh, he's a bad guy. And like you cast him in this as a scroll, and I'm like, oh, he's a bad. And then, no, it turns out he's not a bad guy. It's just such great casting because it subverts audience expectations. I love that. Yes. <laughs> 
And so I want to see what he 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 does in this, but they're going to have to limit the you know the team substitutions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I and that's the only way I know that that could work. It's also it's probably going to be a single use serving. I mean, they're not going to do season two of secret invasion. Like how, yeah, how no. the fork would that make sense? No, I actually, I feel like you can make a really strong case for maybe some TV series are best done is best done is one and done's, you know, you, you have your yeah. story. It's clearly too big for movies or we done told it. Movies. Yeah. You, you finished telling well, it. One division is one that's one and done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier could be another season, but I really hope they do it as a movie because I think it's really important for our country that we mm-hmm. have a major motion picture where there's a black Captain America. Yes, absolutely. And that that shouldn't just be relegated to TV. Now, if I my guess though is that with Loki, which we'll get in June, right? It's yeah. June, right? June eleventh, yes. I think the way that series is going to go, if my, if I'm the guesses that I'm keeping to myself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they could do that as a series. They could have a second or even a third season of that because if, uh, of Loki, t- yeah, because he's oh, basically yeah. working for the TVA, right? The Time mm-hmm. Variance yeah. Authority, right? And the Time Variance, there's no end to that. Exactly. Unless what they're using this whole series for is what to introduce us to Kang, Kang the Conqueror, folks. If you're if if you're if you're doing the bingo card at home, Moon Knight and She Hulk, right? Those are also coming probably yeah. early uh, next year. Moon Knight in his own tormented way is just as in- interesting as Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and She Hulk. Why isn't that I a movie? Wait. I mean, that should yeah. be like. <laughs> I, I'm kind of disappointed. I think they... we're just getting a proper introduction to a hero for a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like We get a whole lot of time with her. We like this is even better. Like imagine if our introduction to Iron Man had been a six episode series bef- and then, you know, and then we get the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm jazz about She-Hulk. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and I also think Hawkeye. Uh, the series could be a, a starting point for the the young adventures, right? Yeah. All right. So we've actually moved away from really and into just blatant speculation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, let's call it a wrap on this podcast for that, since uh, this is uh, this was ostensibly about uh, the last episode of a show that went out calling itself Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, And let me reiterate again, I think all three of us thought that was awesome that uh, the show claimed the title in the same way that Sam Wilson did. I I love when they underline the theme with like a big red Sharpie. (laughs) Yeah. So next week, we'll be back to talk about uh, the complementary and contrasting roles that WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier have played in the television expansion of the MCU. And then we'll come up with a slate of uh, original programming for you guys until 
new Marvel television show that catches our fancy appears? Will it be something that's already aired? Will it be MODOK premiering on Hulu in May? Will it be Loki premiering on Disney Plus in June? We have a cornucopia to pick from. If you have thoughts as to what you'd like us to tackle, please drop us a line and let us know. You know where you are. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on the Incomparable Slack. We love your feedback. And we'd love that you've come along on the ride with us. Thank you, Don Melton. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Kelly Gamont. No, oh, we're going to need to call some people. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> and I've been Lisa Schmeiser. Have a great night, everybody. Mm-hmm.